So welcome to another How Is This podcast with me, Jerome Whittingham, um, photographer and of course editor of How Is This. Now, last week, a message appeared in my inbox saying uh, it's from David Gilchrist, actually, from the UK uh, Crime Book Club. And he said, Jerome, or he said, Hull is this, do you know about the NHS key worker um, in Hull that is now publishing her own books and doing rather well indeed? I didn't know about this story, so I thought I'd better get in touch. Uh, let me introduce... Gillian Gordon. Gillian, welcome to A Hull Is This podcast. Thank you for asking me, Jerome. Really, really nice to meet you all. Hi, Pete. Nice to meet you all. Uh, this is a podcast first for you, I believe. Is that right? It is, yeah. I've never done it before. So, yeah, bear with me. Oh, well, no, I'm sure we're, we're very, very friendly. So I'm sure I'm sure we'll we'll do fine. Um, so um, tell me about your background, NHS key worker. That's your day job. Tell me about that. Yeah, um, I'm an NHS key worker in Hull. I work at a, a local, uh, well-known health centre that also has the minor injuries. And obviously, of late, it's been very, very busy. There is a lot of lonely, isolated people out there who have needed reassurance. So I work um, at a doctor's surgery there. And obviously, with the current pandemic, it's been manic. We've been working around the clock. So like supporting everybody, trying to ring the patients regular on a regular basis weekly, just to see if they need anything. And obviously everybody has, has been very worried. Um, even about like, you know, in fair law and shielding and what they should do and not. So apart from being there on a medical point of view, we've all also been there to offer advice and support because mainly our main thing is duty of care to all patients. So, Jill, how long have you been in that role? Oh, I've done it for about uh, 13 years now. Um, I, I did work at another surgery, <clears throat> um, and then basically I moved on to the health centre, um, which has got like lots more exploring, as opposed to just a doctor's surgery and a medical secretary. This gives you a lot more opportunities to, to meet and greet the patients uh, answer all the inquiries, make the appointments. I'm a horrible woman on the end of a phone when you can <laughs> never get an appointment. <laughs> Sorry, we've got nothing left. You'll have to ring back tomorrow at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'm the horrible woman. <laughs> oh, we've all we've all <laughs> battled we've all battled with people like you, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Most native woman in Hull. <laughs> so um, obviously, a really really busy job. Uh, daytime yes. job must Especially be quite quite yeah. stressful, even at you know not in a pandemic yeah. sort of situation. How do we go from that to being a successful writer? Well, it's escapism, to be honest, Jerome. Um, it's not a nine to five job by any means. You know, if if somebody is, is having a heart attack at six thirty, you cannot say, "Well, I'm sorry, but my stew's in the oven. I've got to go home." You have to see it through. So it's. Even when you come home, you cannot switch off. It's there. You're forever wondering, you know, that last patient you saw was in an ambulance. Are they okay? What's happened? Uh, and you won't find out possibly till tomorrow. So it's it's stressful. You need to know. So to come home, you can't just watch Corey and switch off. So um, my husband, uh, sorry, my son had gone to uni. He'd gone back to London. Um, he now works in haematology. So he'd gone back there. 
the house was empty, considering I'd, I'd moaned loads of times about him, him leaving the, the cardboard holder on the toilet roll and stuff, you know. The house was empty, <laughs> you know. So, um, and I had, as you say, it's a stressful job. And so I started, I went to a, a library club and they said, like, we're doing this competition. And basically, anybody can write three chapters on anything they liked whatsoever, you know. And, like, let's just have a little competition for a piano cruise ferry and write 50 quid. But uh, so you could do it on anything. I mean, the guy, Al Norman, he wrote about his life with racing pigeons. That was very exciting. But I'm really fed up because he won. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, and basically... So, you know, I did that. I didn't come anywhere. They said it was a total load of rubbish. But my friends at the NHS encouraged me. They said, you know, carry on. It's it's very good. So that I did and um, self-published. And that was Francesca. And Pete, I was so surprised. You never expect anybody to read one of your books. And as soon as it hit the book clubs, you know, especially like David Gilchrist and they promoted it, it, it just flew. So basically, it was escapism, something to fill in that gap. Yeah. Um, and I, I, a surprise, I suppose, I've got to that age now where I thought I'd like to achieve something. <laughs> I'd like to do something, you know, before I pop my clogs, do no, it's, something. It's a question of but, achieving uh, something else. I'm sure you've already achieved as well. So, uh, Gillian, <laughs> just, just give us a flavour then. I've asked you if you could perhaps read an extract to us um, before I we can. begin to sort of dig down a little bit deeper into your style and the background of your stories. Just just give us that yeah. extract then to give us a, a sense, a, a flavour of your style. Okay. So um, I'll read you from the second book, Nasty Business. And obviously, as you say, I write crime. So here goes. The three of them went and stood at the far side of the bar, almost in the shadows, and watched as people came flooding through the doors. A blonde woman wearing a very expensive-looking pink gown walked in first, with a party of similarly-dressed men and women hot on her heels. Champagne, she shouted at the bass. Silver champagne buckets were filled with ice cokes and pots. The staff recently idle when I rushed off their feet trying to keep up with the orders. More and more people came through the doors. Many followed the blonde woman's lead and ordered champagne. She was adorned in diamonds that Sharon assured Tony and Jake had to be the real thing. She sat in the middle of one of the private boats between men and women seated at the side of her holding court. The three of them watched as an older man walked up to her and kissed her on the cheek. He was dressed in a tuxedo and had an air of authority. Everyone seemed to know him. But one of the waitresses walked up to Jake. Mr Sinclair, she said. That woman over there keeps ordering champagne, but she isn't paying for it. She keeps telling the bar staff to put it on her account. Do you know her? Does she have an account? Tony and Jake looked over at the woman, and then the man joined there. They were circling the room, stopping and talking and shaking hands. Tony and Jake's curiosity was roused. The woman got louder and louder as she drank more champagne. Then she started moving in time to the music. Jake was about to call the bouncers to escort her out when the male companion she was with suddenly stood at the side of Jake and Ralph, at uh, Jake and Tony. Ralph Gold, he said, and that lady over there, encouraging your customers to buy champagne and have a good time, is my wife, Julie. Uh, 
And so with that, that goes on to the new book I'm currently writing, right, uh, yeah. which is called Gold. Right. And people were so fascinated by Julian Ralph Gold, they wanted to know more of their background. And so I, they asked and asked, and so I've kind of done a George Lucas with my books and gone backwards. <laughs> So, yeah, if it worked for him, it can work for me. <laughs> good technique, good technique. So and who, who's the main well, character then? You're following the same character across the series. The main character is uh, Tony Lambiano. And where does he yeah. come from? Where in your imagination? Is is he based on a real in, character? In, or Yeah. No, no. I mean, I appreciate in Crayland there was one, which I, I found out afterwards. Oh, right, okay. I'll be perfectly honest, because if you watch any of the Cray movies, this guy is never mentioned. Right. You know, and it's only afterwards I found out, but it's a totally different spelling and a totally different description. <laughs> Mine is a blonde, blue eyed, six foot Italian. <laughs> so it's nothing, nothing in nothing in comparison. <laughs> but um, so basically I, I was sat with my friend one night when we was thinking of writing the story and she's uh, Tony with an eye. And so basically we was thinking, what can we do? And we was drinking that wonderful cheap fizzy wine that people always bring out of barbecues, <laughs> which I won't mention in case I get sued. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I said, like, you know, I like your name, so we'll call him Tony. But what about that? And so thankfully we weren't drinking Moe or, or anything else, you know. So we called him Lambriano and just put a U on the end, hence the name. And basically, he's um, from the first book, Dangerous Games, which, as I say, I went backwards. So from the first book, Dangerous Games, I wrote about him being taken from Italy with by his mother in the middle of the night. Um, they then go to, to London, and she thinks the, you know, the streets are paved with gold. But instead, things go terribly wrong, and they end up living in Cardboard City in London, and they've got nothing. He becomes a street urchin. Uh, what happens to his mother, obviously, is prostitution and drugs and things go very wrong. Then he becomes fostered and like, oh, he's in and out of prison and like the usual thing. And he starts um, the protection rackets. And so him and his other like, foster brother, Jake, then go on into the protection rackets of London. And like all he's ever used is his thought on his feet and his fists. So that's where they start off then going into clubland, right. uh, you know, profiteering, racketeering, you name it, they do it. So, you know, so lots of good fun. Yeah, sounds great fun. Uh, how, tell me about the research for the characters then. Uh, how much of this is coming from from what, what you already knew or have you gone off and done some research in order to make the characters so colourful and real? Really, because... For, for like over 30 years, I lived in London. For in the East End of London, uh, I was barmaid in like stripper pubs down the Hackney Road. There's loads of them, you know. And so basically, there's an awful lot of characters that come in there with some wonderful stories, you know. You know, you, you get it all. Some wonderful girls, you know. The strippers was absolutely brilliant. They had some great stories, you know. Um, and it fitted in with them because, like I said, one of my one of my very good friends who I'm still in touch with, you know, she used like striptease basically to pay her way through university. Only like the shifts that she worked slotted in with her patterns for for her essays and things. And I mean, she's now quite a well known barrister, but that helped her 
pay her way, basically. So we'll say no more about her. Yeah, that, that's a fascinating <laughs> but, story in its own right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, you know, you heard all these stories in these pubs. You know, it is the East End. Those kind of things do go on. Um, and so basically, you know, you put that together with author's licence <laughs> and you can come up with loads of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can come up with everything because you do hear some things. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's probably more easy to to build a character, isn't it, uh, by the people yes. you, you observe in the pubs or wherever you come across yeah. these characters. You, you probably pick little traits of of people right. you sit next to on the bus, that sort of thing. But, but yeah, turning those characters into a whole story, a story arc, how do you go about creating the stories for the characters? I, I, it's pen, pad, that's how I'll start out. And then so like I'll walk the dog and I'll think, you know, the handsome man, Tom Hardy with blonde hair. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he'll do. You know, so you picture this and then, like I say, you think, you know, actually, I remember this guy in one of the pubs that, you know, used to come round doing a bit of collecting in the pubs. They still do, you know, um, and basically think, I remember him. I remember that charming smile I, and how he was. And then, like I say, with author's license, you think, yeah, but he could do this and he could do that. And then suddenly that will lead into another character. And before you know it, you, you're like knitting. You know, it's like they'll do that and they'll follow on to that. And then I remember when he had this girlfriend and I remember that stripper and a hard time she was having, you know, with like um, a, a violent husband. And so in my other book, the first one I actually wrote was called Francesca. And that was, that was my first one, basically. And that was basically about the memoirs of a stripper who had married a gangland boss and, like, how she'd had a domestic violent marriage. The only job she could get was stripping. She had a young child to feed. Didn't matter how many CVs she gave out, nobody was interested. That was the only job she could get. Um, and then she meets a handsome man one night. They don't know who each other are. Uh, and basically have a little rendezvous in the beer garden. I won't go any further than that, Jerome, for your listeners, but I'm sure you can all work that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then she finds out she actually works for him in his big strip club in the West End. So, I mean, again, oh, I don't know if I should say this. So I hope you're going to edit this. Well, don't give any spoilers. based his strip club on Stringfellas. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so there's your research. Because, yeah, yeah. as you know, Stringfellas had dancers in. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've nicked it a bit. Thank God, Peter Stringfeller, oh, God rest his soul, he's Blessings. dead. He can't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> he can't sue me either. So are, but, are, your, are your books more about the relationships between people? Um, or yes. is it about the sort of the violence, uh, the death, the I've, I've, Yeah, no, I've got the violence in there. I've got the crime <laughs> in there. I've got, you know, heists, diamond heists. I've got, yeah, I've got all the, the racketeering. I've got um, the casinos laundering money between them and, and how they do that. Uh, and like I say, a big part of it is Italian. So with, like, Tony being Italian, he's got contacts with the Italian mafia. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things with the mafia, once you're in, you're in, and the only way out is a body bag. So I've, I've kind of brought in, you know, bits of the Godfather, bits of Goodfellas, all that kind of thing. So you've got your Italian mafia. I didn't want to just keep it to just London's East End because 
a lot of people do, and that makes them all very samey. So I wanted mine to be more branched out, like I say. So we've got, he comes from, he's a very rich man. Although he's been in foster care, he doesn't know who he is. He was a, a small child when he was taken with no memory. Um, he finds out he's actually a millionaire and has um, a vineyard called Lambiano's in Italy. And all that time he was living in Cardboard City and he never thought he had a penny, you know. And late on in life, he actually finds his grandmother who's been searching for him for 18 years, you know. Um, and so that leads on to your next story. So the nasty business, which is I've just read to you, is where they acquire a club. Um, and then so him and his stepbrother, Jake, basically, they acquire a club and it's how they build up their empire, how now, you know, they're playing dangerous games. It's nasty business. It's a beer, it's a bitter, cruel, selfish world out there. And they'll do everything they can to keep hold of it. So that includes, you know, murder, heisting, you name it, they include it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gangland book. <laughs> <laughs> How much of this is fantasy, really? Or is, is this sort of thing? Oh, Jerome, you're asking me questions there. <laughs> <laughs> trying to tease out, trying to tease out some exclusives here. You were, you were, you've been a bit sneaky there, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, I have heard stories, whether they're true or not. I don't know. Yeah, and that's I'm not going to commit myself there in case, I, you know, somebody comes banging up my door. <laughs> but no, you've heard stories. We've all heard stories. It's like we've heard stories of what the careers did and all that kind of thing. You know, whether they're true or not, we don't know. But obviously, I've heard them, and I think, oh, actually, I remember when they did that. You know, so I'll I'll just borrow that and put a bit of author's license in as well. You know, a bit of poetic license and make it up as I go along. <laughs> Well, I can see there's obviously a lot of colourful characters in your book, or in your books, your series of books. Uh, I want to know a little bit more or something of your, your writing process. So you said when, you're, uh, when you finally get home from work, you sit there thinking yeah. about the patients that you've talked to during yeah. the day, the cases that you've come across during the day. Is the opposite true? Like whilst you're at work, are you thinking of what your characters are going to do next? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yes. how, when you get home, how do you get into that writing frame of mind? Have you got a special room, a special pencil you use, a typewriter? What, what do you do? How do you get yeah. into writing? <laughs> no. Yeah, well, I've got my famous old sweaty cardie, which I call it now my lucky cardie, because since I, I started wearing it with my first book and it took off, I thought, no, I'm going to keep wearing it just in case, <laughs> you know. But uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's all uh, paper and pen. So, you know, if I get I get a 20 minute break when I'm at work during a 10 hour day. So you get like, you know, 20 minutes. But every now and again, when you get that bit, I've always got my pad on me. So when something just hits you, something said, you can just scroll it down quickly, you know. And so that's that. And then when you come in, you make a cuppa, I put on my cardi. And like in the background, yeah, just as a bit of vegging, I've got curry. You know, famous old curry in the background at the moment. I'm watching classic curry, which is even funnier. I'm telling you, <laughs> got old Deidre. <laughs> but no, so that's kind of in the background. Um, and then it's like, right, now bits I've scribbled here or there, because I've got bits of notepad here or there and everywhere. Uh, now I'll start composing it and writing it up. And your first draft is always rubbish, because basically that's just 
your storyline, how you would like it to go, you know? And that's always rubbish. Nobody can ever read that. Then it's your second one, which you can now, you've got your storyline. Now you can start writing it properly and start padding it out and knitting it together. So like I said, that just, because you're concentrating so hard, that's helping you switch off, you know, and like helps you go to bed. But yeah, obviously when I'm at work, I'm thinking, you know, ooh, ooh, ooh. I mean, it's like at the moment, I've, my new book's coming in out in August. So everything's kind of frantic at the moment, you know. So it's like I'm working till like eight o'clock at night and then I'm run, running home, you know, get, having a scrambled egg and a bit of toast, sitting on my two-seater sofa in front of the telly and getting it out and like writing as quickly as possible. And then it's like, well, you know, I've got to go to bed because I'm up like half five in the morning to start again. So how, how soon into the process, the writing of each novel, do you share it with somebody for feedback? Is that important oh, to the writing process or yeah. is, just, yeah. is this a, a, a one-woman show really? No, no, absolutely not, no. Um, I've got Sue, my wing woman, who was my, who was my best mate, and I've got me, my old neighbour who used to be an English ed teacher next door. And so basically like, every couple of chapters I'll throw them out and, I mean, they're really, as I say, they're really bad. You've got no capital letters, no full stops, nothing. It's just because once it gets in your brain, you have to get it down on paper, otherwise it's gone. So it's like you're typing while it's there. You're not actually typing it properly. You're just typing it quickly. So it's like, I'll go, what do you think to that chapter? Does that sound believable? What about that? And um, I've got Ralph Gold. He's an explosives expert. And so basically, you know, I needed to know about explosives. Well, fortunately for me, the, my, the old guy up the road, Nick, he used to be in the army and he used to work with explosives. And so I've actually been putting the kettle on, pulling old Nick in and saying, tell me how you would make and detonate an explosive. That, tell that's, me that's how not you would make something, a surface. Not something you should be typing into a Google search, really, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, my friend come to stay with me and she said, you get up at four o'clock in the morning, Jill, and it frightens me because I can hear your feet going across the laminate in your bedroom where you've got like you with a computer. She went, and it's not the fact that you're getting up at four o'clock in the morning. It's that I know you're getting up at four o'clock in the morning to kill somebody. She went, that's, that's the scariest part. She went, it's just come to you how it would be feasible to do it. She went, and I'm laid in bed and I can hear you in the other room typing away and I know you're killing somebody. <laughs> and so you, you've also taken the route to self-publish. Is that right? They, yeah, yeah, I went with Amazon. Oh, right, um, yeah. And like, I'm what is known as an indie author, independent publisher. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have like a publisher such as like HarperCollins or anybody like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's only for your big authors. So, as I say, I, I put it on Kindle, I put it on uh, paperback yourself, but they do print on demand. Yeah. So, the paper books, you know, are quite expensive because like, they're only doing one as people request it. Yeah. Whereas, if you was with a publisher, they would print a thousand and that's what would make them two pound each just something do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. so I've done it the independent and then I was quite surprised because Audible got hold of me he sent me an email and he asked me if he could do uh, Francesca and Dangerous Games in Audible so I'm really really pleased about that I was really chuffed so he did Dangerous Games and he's now bringing out Francesca in Audible and I have to say it's it sounds really good I'm really chuffed but it's it's kind of weird it's surreal 
hearing yeah. your your book, your words come to life. So that's it, fascinating. It's kind of, you have voices in your head. Yeah, yeah. So which is doing best? Or is there a balance? Are, are the audio books doing better than the print copies? Or what's the balance? Well, like I said, the Audible are fairly new. So they're just sort of like hitting everybody out at the moment. The Kindle seems to be very popular because people go on holidays. It's easier to take your Kindle than it is a pile of suitcase full of books. So I find, and the Kindle versions are cheaper. It's like your dangerous games on Kindle at the moment is only 99p, whereas the paperback works out about £8. So if you've got a Kindle, people would rather do that and they can do the Kindle Unlimited where they can have as many books as they like for like a monthly fee. So the Kindle is doing a lot better and people are more into technology. But personally, I prefer a paperback. That's just me. But they're doing okay as well. Yeah. I had a look at um, goodreads.com. And oh, yeah. you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reviews. Uh, one of your books, I forget, I don't know which one it was now. I didn't note that down. 581 ratings on Goodreads.com. Oh, my God. And really? And you'd got an average um, out of five stars. Your average was 4.54 for that. Now, I actually have I've looked at other authors, uh, some local ones that I know as well. And you're ahead of them. Uh, it's, it's it's really incredible. So how do you feel? I mean, I think your reaction's just sort of giving it away. But yeah. how do you feel when you're getting such such you know great reviews and so many of them? I'm flattered. It, like I say, you know, I said to my son basically, you know, if just one person reads this, then I've achieved my goal. I've done it. I've done what I wanted to. I've had my therapy. I've got it out. One person does it, yeah, that's enough. And like I said, as soon as it hit the book clubs, I can't believe it. And people are messaging me. I, I like to talk to the readers because that's how you get your feedback. You know, they go, I didn't like this or that wasn't believable. Or that's how you get – and I like criticism, good or bad, because that's that's how you learn to go on to the next bit. But I was – I was floored. I couldn't believe it. Absolutely. I could not believe it. I mean, you know, I'm a nobody from nowhere. And it's like, you know, I'm just, you know, just a key worker for the NHS. I'm nothing special. But it's amazing. The people, the readers have took me to the heart. They've really, really been supportive. You Absolutely. And I appreciate it. It's brilliant. You certainly have a really growing following from what I've seen online. So oh, how Gillian, tell me, how can people um, get hold of your books, find out more? What, what's the best place well, for them it, to go to? They're to, all on Amazon. Yeah. Just, yeah, just type in Gillian Godden Books. Go on Amazon, Gillian Godden Books, and uh, all four of them will come up, and it will give them the option of paperback or Kindle, and as I say, the Audible. You know, they are all on Amazon now. They're all on the Amazon link. Um or I have Gillian Godden author website, which is my own website. They can contact me on Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter. They, it's all Gillian Godden. I've got no imagination. I haven't got any fancy passwords. <laughs> yeah, it's just Gillian Godden. <laughs> you know. So basically, Twitter, Instagram, you know, Amazon, where all the books are. Facebook, that's got some great videos on there, some wacky ones, because I, I don't like having a play around like with the readers, <laughs> because it's like, you know, I, I'm on their level. I'm nothing special. I'm not one of these top brilliant authors. I'm just me. I'm well, just Jill who writes books. You're a name to watch, that is for sure. It's been really great yeah. chatting to you this afternoon, Gillian. Thanks for your time. 
I'll make sure we put all of those uh, links in the show notes here on Hell Is This. All right. So that uh, That's brilliant. readers can find you and uh, give their feedback, give more I like glowing reports. To the What's the future? What's the immediate future for you? The, the immediate future is, as I say, I'm finishing um, a book called Gold, which is about Ralph and Julie Gold. So that's due out now in August, mid-August, I'm doing that. Mid-August. Okay, well, get back in touch with us at Hell Is This, and we'll certainly really um, like that. We'll give you a little shout-out again mid-August to let people know that your latest book is out. Uh, that would be brilliant, Jerome. Hey, and thank you for having me. I've really and enjoyed chatting to you. Obviously, David Gilchrist, a really, really, you know, that guy has been so supportive. I don't know how well you know him. Is absolutely brilliant. He's one of the biggest UK crime book clubs in England. And he's got something like thousands and thousands of followers. And for him to say, you know, I'll give you a push in the right direction, Gil, that's mega. Absolutely brilliant guy. Yeah. And like he's obviously got onto you and showed you that awful video of me <laughs> that awful chat. <laughs> Was it bad? <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, but I don't think I'll put the link in the show notes. <laughs> uh, Gillian, we we must leave it there. Uh, it's been an absolute hoot um, chatting with you this this half an hour or so. Oh, thanks, Do keep in touch with us, won't you? Uh, yeah, so, I'll take that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, you know where to find me, Jerome. You yeah. know where to find me. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining our Hull Is This podcast. Um, listeners, I hope you're following uh, Hull Is This. You'll find us on all of the social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, all at Hull Is This. It'd be nice to have your company. Do keep in touch. Um, until next time, bye for now. <laughs>